Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Give somebody a high five and go ahead and be seated in Jesus' name. Give him praise. That's a great new song, isn't it? Great worship and uh, just love the life of the Spirit and trust that you're enjoying the goodness of God today. We're going to be looking at John chapter 15. And uh, last week uh, was a message, Righteousness Exalts a Nation, but Sin is a Reproach to Any People, and talked about the reasons why righteousness exalts a nation, and it was a patriotic message as, at that, and uh, of course, we put up all the flags, and I, I just so enjoyed all the flags last week that I said, let's do that again. Let's do that again. So, uh, let, matter of fact, let's just do it all the month of June. All the month of June. I mean, they... Did I say June? All the month of July. All the month of, thank you for that. I appreciate that. June, we had the gay pride celebration in America. So in July, we're going to celebrate and be proud of America. How's that? How's that? Be a little different than uh, the culture in which we live and celebrate and and rejoice in and boast in the goodness of the Lord and uh, the land of the brave and of the free. God bless America. Somebody say amen to that. All right, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. And if I make another mistake, uh, please just keep it to yourself. <laughs> One correction is more than another. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Praise the Lord. So uh, we have uh, four baskets here. One basket uh, obviously has no fruit. One basket has a little fruit. But uh, man, is that not a perfect banana? It's ready to be eaten, isn't it? I would love to have a bite of that banana. And then this basket has more fruit in it. And then this basket, man, this basket has what I would call much fruit. Much fruit. So we're going to read John chapter 15. Obviously, the goal, according to Jesus, in this parable of him being divine, the branch, bearing much fruit, obviously, is to live a life like this, bearing much fruit. We start out with no fruit, and then God saves us, and then we begin to grow, right, and uh, get to increase, and boy, to have a life filled with much fruit. In my personal life, my marriage, my family, my ministry, my work, in all aspects. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, basket number one, no fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Basket number two, a basket of fruit. He prunes that it may bear, basket number three, more fruit. No fruit, fruit, more fruit. Got that? Three baskets. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Basket number four. So we got no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. The four baskets. May I ask you this question, which basket are you? Which basket are you today? And maybe you would say, man, it, it, when it comes to my marriage, uh, you know, it, it's fruit. When it comes to my business, it's much fruit. When it comes to my personal relationship with the Lord, it's more fruit. 
when it comes to this area of my life uh, that I struggle with, it's like no fruit. Maybe you would say uh, different areas of your life, uh, you know, it represents different baskets, but the whole of your life, no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. I'll start right back again here. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So the, the context there of doing nothing without the Lord is being fruitful. Being fruitful. We cannot bear spiritual fruit unto God without the Lord in our life being hooked into the vine, all right? Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So the secret to answered prayer, boy, I tell you what, it's abiding in the Lord and having his word abide in you, and you're in him, and he in you, and his words in you, and you're in his word, and it's out of that just wonderful relationship where you're connected to him, then your prayers reflect the will of God, the purpose of God, there's faith there. It's no wonder he answers your prayer, right? It's no wonder he answers your prayer. The Bible says, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The number one indicator that you're a disciple of the Lord is that, well, Christ in you, but the second indicator is that you're fruitful. You know, no fruits, no real discipleship, no real salvation. If you have prayed to be saved and there's no fruit in your life over a passage of time i want you to know you need to try that again because you did not have saving faith you need to try it again there is something how a disconnect between the prayer of salvation the faith or lack thereof that you prayed that prayer uh, and the fruitfulness that should be in your life when you're saved you bear fruit unto god So I want to encourage you to examine yourself, like the Bible says, to see whether or not you are in the faith. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. So that abiding, fruitful relationship with the Lord, I want you to know that's his joy. His joy that comes into your life, the joy that God gives you is a joy of fruitfulness. It's a joy of abiding. It's a joy of knowing. It's a joy of loving him. It's a joy of obedience. Out of that close communion with the Lord, we have the joy that passeth all understanding, the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, the joy of the Lord that's our strength, the joy that's attractive to others as you witness your faith. So what basket represents your life? Basket number one, no fruit. Basket number two, fruit. Basket number three, more fruit. And I tell you what, I I want each one of you to say, man, you know, I am bearing fruit, but the longer I walk with the Lord, it seems like I'm bearing more fruit. Or basket number four, much fruit. If your life consistently bears no fruit, God will intervene to discipline you. If your life bears some fruit, God will intervene intervene to prune you. If your life bears a lot of fruit, God will invite you to abide more deeply with him. That's a quote from Bruce Wilkinson, who wrote a book on abiding in the vine. But the Bible tells us that God prunes you so that you might bear 
more fruit. It tells us that in verse 2 of John chapter 15. And, and last week, we or two weeks ago, we looked at the different areas that God prunes. And it all begins with an A. It helps you remember them. But God prunes attitudes. God prunes activities. God prunes uh, associations. God prunes actions. And so that's what he does. He cuts away. That's why pruning is painful. It's, there's a cutting away, right? There's a, uh, there's a sharp instrument, a cutting away. And, and we love our branches. And that's why uh, we get, uh, you know, despairing sometimes when God begins to prune or to cut away. But there are things that he needs to cut away so that we might be more healthy, so that we might be more fruitful, so that ultimately we might bring glory to God. And, and one of them are your attitudes. And what does he prune away? Your toxic attitudes. Toxic attitudes. Uh, what about your associations? He'll prune out of your life those people that are always causing you or tempting you to compromise your spiritual walk with God, or whenever you're around them, you find yourself not being built up in the faith, but rather you feel like every time you're around them, you're getting defiled and they're bringing you down. And I want you to know that if you can't overcome in those type of associations, God will prune certain relationships out of your life. What about actions? Yes, anything that grieves the Holy Spirit, God's going to cut out of your life. You know, you know whether or not you're grieving the Holy Spirit, and he'll cut those things out of your life. And, and of course, the last one is activities. God will cut certain sinful activities out of your life, but also busyness, busy activities. And busyness is, a, is just a tremendous destroyer of your spiritual devotion to God. Many times you're so busy that your passion for God wanes. You get so busy that you no longer have... a. a honor your spiritual commitments, and uh, God knows when activities are too much, and then he will prune them, remove them out of your life to get you more focused. God prunes you because he loves you. God prunes with a smile, not a frown. If you are without pruning, I want you to know that you probably do not belong to the Lord. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 6, I will lay it waste it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall be come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. This is God speaking to Israel, and he says, because of your sinfulness and, and your rebellion, I am no longer, your, you know, Israel was like, was like the planting of the Lord, and God would tend to it and look for fruit on it and want it to bear fruit unto God, to the glory of God. And uh, because of their rebellion, their sin, their disobedience, God said, says, now in judgment, I, one of my ways that I'm going to judge you is I'm not going to prune you. I'm not going to prune you. I'm not going to send rain on you. I'm going to let there be briars and thistles and thorns. Those are those things that cause pain. But I want you to know that when you are pruned, it's because he loves you, because he sees fruit in you, because he wants you to bear more fruit, because he wants you to bring glory to God. Somebody say amen to that. It's a fearful thing not to be pruned. Just like kind of a companion verse over in the, in the New Testament. If you are without chastisement, you do not belong to God. You're not a son of God. For every son that the Lord receives, he chastens. But if you are without chastisement, you're really not a child of God. Well, I want the Lord to deal with me. Don't you? 
I want the Lord to deal with me. If I sin, I want him to discipline me. And because I'm his son and he's my father, he will discipline me. And I also want the Lord to prune me. If I'm the planting of the Lord, he wants me to be more fruitful, then I want the Lord to prune me because it's his tender care in my life and it makes us better. God prunes all fruit-bearing believers by various methods throughout their lifetime in order to maximize the quality and quantity of their fruit. So pruning lasts a lifetime. I got good news. Pruning lasts a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You have to clap by faith almost out of obedience to God, don't you? What do you do when you're pruned? Well, this is the the fleshly response. You will do anything and everything to end the pruning. Why is that? Because pruning is a cutting away. Pruning is sometimes challenging or difficult. Pruning sometimes can be seemingly embarrassed as things are cut away and you were this and now you're this and people are seeing you as this and they used to see you as that and there's some embarrassment there or maybe some shame there and you'll do just about anything and everything to end the pruning. Matter of fact, the control Christian, the control freak Christian, they'll even tell God, okay, God, yeah, I'll let you prune over here. You know, they'll actually tell God where he is to prune and tell God where he's not allowed to prune. But, you know, the Lord, he doesn't listen to that because he's God. He's God. He's, he's the divine dresser, right? He, he looks down and says, you know what? I, I'm the gardener, and I got my pruning shears here, and uh, I'm just going to prune where I know is wise to prune, and I'm not going to listen to that little branch that says, don't, don't cut me, don't cut me. What do I mean that you'll do anything and everything to end the pruning? Well, you get all spiritual about it. You'll memorize the scriptures so you can quote the promises to God. You'll think that will end the pruning. What about this? You'll get before God and say, oh, okay, Lord, I repent of all my sins. I repent of all. And you're doing it to end the pruning. Or how about this one? You'll draw close to God. Oh, yes. If I just get closer to the Lord, he'll stop this pruning. He'll stop this pruning. And what about this one? You engage in some serious spiritual warfare. I bind you, Satan. I rebuke you, devil. I command that you get out of my... You'll do anything and everything to end the pruning. But Jesus says, if you're being pruned, what should you do? Abide. Abide. That's the big key here. When you're being pruned, I want you to know you can quote all the scriptures you want. You can bind a Satan and cast him into the, into the fires of hell. You can try that. You can draw close to God. You can repent of all your sins. You can do all these things to try to end the pruning. But the Lord has his way with you. He knows what needs to be done. And those things as a work of the flesh... To end Now, a lot of those things are good things, no doubt about it. Drawing close to God, repenting of your sins, and, you know, memorizing Scripture and believing the promises. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to don't do that. What I'm telling you is many times you do it as a work of the flesh to try to stop the deep dealings of God, and God's not going to be done until he's done. So what do you do when you're being pruned? You abide you abide you remain you trust 
You abide, right? Can I look back over my walk with God and see very clearly that a sinful behavior I used to be caught up in is no longer an issue? Are there thoughts, attitudes, or habits that used to dominate my life but don't anymore? If you can answer yes, you're moving forward and upward with God. Well, I'd like to talk about the secrets of the vine, and I have four secrets of the vine here. I mentioned them two weeks ago, just in passing. I want to get a little bit deeper on it. The secret to joy is fruitfulness. That's secret number one. Jesus taught his disciples the secret of the vine, the secret to joy is fruitfulness. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. When you are fruitful, I want you to know there is joy. There's two kinds of fruit. There's the inner fruit and the outer fruit. The inner fruit has a lot to do with what we call the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians chapter 5. Also, 2 Peter chapter 1 talks about this fruitfulness that should be within us. The fruit of love, the fruit of peace, the fruit of joy, the fruit of patience, the the fruit of kindness, the fruit of self-control. These are inner fruits. But there's also the outer fruit of obedience to God and also soul winning. That's part of fruitfulness to the Lord. Inner fruit and outer fruit. I want to talk about the secret to joy is fruitfulness. I want to talk about joy here because joy is very important. I've mentioned it many times. Joy is your healthiest human emotion because the joy of the Lord is your strength. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But uh, a broken spirit dries up the bone. So a merry heart, a joyful heart, doeth good like a medicine. It's a, it's a healthy human emotion, right? It's your inner strength. Joy is important because it makes your testimony attractive. Reading from Romans 14, it says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's not drummed up or worked up by the flesh. The joy is in the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. For he who serves Christ in these things, righteousness, peace, and joy, these things. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God. God looks down in a very approving way. And the Bible says is approved by men. I mean, people watch and see. And if they see a life of righteousness, a life of peace, a life of joy, chances are they'll come and say, can you give me a reason for the joy that's in you, for the hope that's in you, for the peace that is in you? You see, when we begin to manifest the fruit, the fruit of joy, I want you to know people, their, their eyes open. They, they, they want that. Uh, the first time I went to the church I got saved in, you know, I was raised Roman Catholic. And so I never went to any church other than the Roman Catholic church and participated in the mass. My parents were devout Roman Catholics. But at age 18, I was invited to this Baptist church. And it was a charismatic Baptist church. And their worship was very similar to ours here today, and uh, which was very different than uh, the type of worship the liturgical worship in Roman Catholicism. And so I just walk in to this church, age 18. It was a Thursday night service, and uh, uh, they were 
worshiping God. And, uh, you know, I'd see people raising their hands and they're, what's up with that? You know, and uh, they were clapping with the choruses at the fast songs and what's up with that? And I saw some people bebopping like this, like, what's up with that? And uh, there's a lady in the front row. She had a tambourine and she was dancing before the Lord. And what's up with that? And what was interesting is everybody was singing. And they seem to be singing with, with a forcefulness. You know, the, uh, I, I mean, I, I remember uh, singing hymns in the Catholic Church. I mean, this is my testimony. It might not be your testimony, but my testimony. And uh, I would barely get anything out. And I would, I would hope we'd only sing stanza one. I'd get really bummed out if we, st- if we sang stanza one and four. And every now and then, they'd sing all four stanzas of the hymn. Oh. And uh, a lot of people, you know, they would just mumble as they sang. But boy, one of the things that just I noticed was joy during worship. And they'd sing one song, then another song, then another song, and they repeat the song. And what's up with that? I mean, that was weird to me. But I was really taken aback by the joy that I saw. The joy that I saw. Hmm. There's this passage of Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy. This is for all parents of children. Now listen to this in Deuteronomy 28, talking about joy and how important it is. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long, and there shall be no strength in your hand. Now why is that? In other words, it's a, it's a warning that your children are going to go into captivity. They're going to be captured by the enemy. What we would say is, you know, they don't have a heart for God. They're, they're captured by the world. They're not serving Christ. The enemy is having its way with them, all right? Because, he says in verse 47... Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Boy, that's really key, isn't it? Uh, God is talking to the Israelites. He says there's coming a day when, you, when your children of Israel go into captivity and begin to serve the Baals and the, and the, the other gods of these other nations. Uh, one of the reasons being is not the reason, but one of the reasons just might be because you as parents did not serve the Lord with joy. In other words, you weren't honoring God and loving God and enjoying the Lord and rejoicing in Christ and uh, uh, your, your relationship with God was external but lacking that inner reality that should be yours. And, and because of that, the faith was not communicated down and there was a backslidden, a, a rebellion that took root in the nation and God would sell them into captivity. And so it's so important for as New Testament believers, as moms and dads having children, that we make serving the Lord full of the good fruit of God. We love God. We rejoice in the Lord. We love church. Church is joyful. Look what the Lord has done. There's a lightheartedness in you. Listen, legalism is rules without a relationship that always, always brings about rebellion in the heart. When my wife and I raised our children, we made sure we, we raised them in church. Now, our philosophy was this, and, you know, we, if I had to do it all over again, I would do the same thing. We loved our children so much that we brought them to church. We took them to church. We 
immersed them in the church. Church was their community. Church was their family. Church was their activity. Matter of fact, you're talking about family activities. We, we, we took it this, you know, we're going to go to church on Sunday morning. We're going to go to church on Wednesday night, and that's going to be our family activity. We're going to do that as a family. It's something that we do, and we love them so much that we brought them to church, that we immersed them to church, that we made it our family community, and that we did it because we loved God and we were we would rejoice in the Lord. And I'd do it all over again. Would you do it all over again? My wife would say she'd do that all over again. So that's wonderful, wonderful parental advice to all of you. And may the Spirit of God give you ears to hear, all right? So the secret to joy is fruitfulness, the fruit of the Spirit, that abundant joy that's in your heart and in your life. Secret of the vine number two, the secret to fruitfulness is abiding. Abiding in John 15 verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides on the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the word abide literally means to remain, to remain in, to abide don't wander astray, right? To remain in. It also has an idea of trusting. If you're abiding, you're trusting. So you're remaining in an attitude and position of trusting and has a third connotation to it of obeying. Obeying. So your life of abiding is I am cleaving to the Lord, I am actively trusting God, walking by faith, and I am obeying his will for my life. Remaining in, trusting in, obeying him. That's abiding. That's abiding. The secret to fruitfulness is abiding. The Bible tells us to abide in his word, to abide in him, to abide in his love, and to abide in his shadow. Four areas of abiding. To abide in his word. In John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so the word is supposed to be remaining in you, staying in you right and then it says in john 8 31 then jesus said to those jews who believed in him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed so there's a, a twofold there we abide in him he abides in us i abide in his word his word abides in me the word of the Lord. I, I must read his word, study his word, meditate on his word, memorize his word, obey his word, live a life of, of doing his word. That's, that's, that's abiding. That's abiding. If you want to know Jesus, you must know him through his word. Jesus is a real person that is known by his spirit through his word. I, I read the Bible every single day. And I know I'm called to preach, and so i got to study this word, and uh, I do do that. And uh, obviously, and I've made a, a lifestyle of studying his word. But just as a believer, just as a Christian, as a child of God, I read the Bible I read it, I think on it, I meditate on it. I want to abide in it. I want his words to get into my heart and to remain there, to abide in me. 
Some people say, you know, well, how long should I read his word? Well, let me tell you, you should read it until you get something out of it. Or put it this way, read it until something grabs you. Or put it to you this way, read it until you feel God is speaking to you. Well, what do you mean speaking? Uh, Is there a command uh, to obey? Is there a principle to embrace? Is there a character to emulate? Is there a sin to avoid? I mean, what is God speaking to you? So many times when I'm reading the Word, um, it is as if God is instructing me or feeding me. Sometimes words or phrases come out of the page, as it were, and grip my heart. Ah, I just feel like the Lord spoke to me. Spoke to me. Obviously, you read it diligently. You read it prayerfully. You read it faithfully. You read it obediently. In other words, but the idea is, I'm just not reading this to gain knowledge, but I want to know God. I want to love God. I want to do what the Bible is telling me to do. No, no feedback? All right. So you abide in his word, right? Abide in his word. You abide in Jesus. Abide in his love. John 15, verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. Hmm. Being rooted. Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 3 that tells you to be rooted in the love of God. Abiding in his love. What does that mean? Be so convinced that God loves you no matter what. That's abiding in his love. Don't let the lies of the devil distort God's love for you, cause you to doubt his love or deny his love or diminish his love. Don't let the circumstances of life convince you that God does not love you. Abide in his love. I know God loves me because of the testimony of Scripture. I also have sensed it in my heart. I am to abide in that love. I'm not going to be moved away from it. As Ephesians would say, be rooted in the love of God. That means my roots go down deep. And when, when things begin to press on me, man, my roots are in the love of God. Come what may, I don't understand all this. I have some challenges. I'm not sure why this is happening. I have some pain in my life. I'm not sure why. But I do know this. God loves me. And that has not changed. That's an abiding love. Does the love of God abide in you? And are you abiding in that love? Of course the love of God abides in you. He has placed his spirit on the inside of you. It's the spirit of Christ. Christ loves you. The love of God is on the inside of you. It abideth. And now you must abide in his love. Remain in that love. Trust in that love. Remain in that love. Trust in that love. I love this. Not only are we to abide in Jesus, the vine, abide in his word, abide in his love, but also to abide in his shadow. Where do I get that? Well, that's not in John 15. It's in Psalm 91, just a great psalm. Psalm of healing and protection. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So think about God casting a shadow and you abiding in that shadow. 
That means as he is there, you're where he is. And the Lord is moving and you're just following in that shadow, in that shadow. And the shadow speaks about presence and protection. Presence, his presence is near. His protection is overshadowing me. Like a bird covers its young with its wings to protect them. The Bible says we are to hide under the shadow of the Almighty, His presence and His protection. It speaks about walking in a nearness to God because you can't be far from the Lord and be under His shadow. He that dwells in the secret place. Well, what's the secret place? God has a secret hiding place and invites each of us to join Him there. Notice that he does not invite us to visit. The promise is to those who dwell there. To dwell means we live there. It becomes our address. God invites us to pack up and move to his secret place. To do so, we must walk away from the clamor and enticements of the world. We must be willing to quiet our hearts before him and allow him to investigate those inner recesses we reveal to no one else. Secret place implies honesty and trust. We cannot join God in his secret place unless we are willing to be transparent and honest with him. So that secret place is that place of relationship, that place of prayer where we with open face behold the glory of the Lord, where we are open and transparent before him. He that dwells in that secret place shall abide under his shadow, a place of protection and nearness of presence. Abide, abide. The secret to fruitfulness is abiding. In other words, it talks about nearness, closeness. And without that, we won't be fruitful. Number three, the secret to abiding is obedience. If the secret to fruitfulness is abiding and the secret to joy is fruitfulness, the secret to abiding is obedience. In John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You obey the command ultimately to follow him. Jesus talks about the commandment to love one another in John 15, verse 12. And listen to John 15, verse 14. This wasn't in the scripture passage, but it's within the same context. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Whatever. We need to be whatever Christians. Whatever. If you do whatever I command you. Well, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to do this, and, and I'll do that, and, but are you, are you willing to say, Lord, whatever, whatever you command me, that I will do. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do whatever. And you might be, oh, man, that's kind of a dangerous prayer. Well, it is a dangerous prayer, but put it this way. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourself as living sacrifices. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Roman Christians there, Romans chapter 12, I believe it is, to to present themselves as a living sacrifice. 
but he beseeches them by the mercies of God. God is not out to harm you, to hurt you, to destroy you, to make your life miserable. So when he says, will you do whatever I command you? And then we get, oh, Lord, what is, what, what is he going to command me to do? It's going, to, it's going to be terrible. No, I beseech you by the mercies of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the friendship of God, the, by, by the idea that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, that you be willing to do whatever he commands you. Because it's going to take you further down the road and it's going to be for your good, ultimate good, and for his glory. It won't destroy your life. It'll save your life. So let's be whatever Christians. Amen? Let's be whatever Christians. Whatever Christians. And one final one. The secret to obedience is love. You know, to, to obey God. When you talk about obeying God, you know, this is, this is legalism. No, the secret to obedience is love. That's what the Lord talks about here. When you abide in his love, his love fills your heart. When his love fills your heart, you delight to obey him. When you delight to obey him, your, your obedience is freedom, not bondage. I delight to do your will, O Lord. Your commandments are not grievous to me. That's the idea. Obedience, if motivated by love that's abiding in our heart for God, is not constriction, hardship, legalism, buzzkill, but rather to obey God with the heart of love is freedom. His love has filled our hearts and we want more than anything to follow him to love him, to be obedient to him. I'm going to go through this sequence again. When you abide in his love, his love will fill your heart. When his love fills your heart, you delight to obey him. When you delight to obey him, your obedience is freedom, not bondage. When you are free in Christ, you then become free to love people. Amen. So let's take a quiz, a test. How many came to church for a test? Nobody. How many glad that I'm going to give you a test? Thank you very much. Let's all raise our hands. How many glad I'm going to give you a test? Did you raise your hand, Dr. Rennie? Oh, there you go. All right. Close your eyes. Four questions. Based upon this message. Question number one, is your joy contagious in your family? You should answer yes, but maybe you would answer no. Question number two, what practical steps do you take every day to abide in his shadow? That might be, you know, I read my Bible, I pray, I cast my care upon the Lord, I sing and worship. What practical steps do you take every day to abide in his shadow? Question number three. Do you have a whatever obedience? Do you have a whatever obedience? Are you always trying to draw boundaries, restrict what God would say? 
or is your heart enlarged today where you would say, I have a whatever obedience? Number four, is your love for the Lord growing through the years? Do you love him more now than you did when you first got saved? Or 10 years ago? Or five years ago? He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Basket number one is no fruit. Basket number two is fruit. Basket number three is more fruit. Basket number four is much fruit. I know all of you want to have the life of much fruit. Much fruit. Oh, Lord, make it happen in our lives, I pray. Let me ask you this question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you given your heart to Christ? Are you truly a believer? Has Christ saved you? Have you experienced forgiveness of sins? Is he alive and dwelling in your heart? If you would answer, I'm not sure or no to those questions, my friend, you need to give your heart to Christ today and be saved. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Tim, I want you to pray with me that I might give my heart to Christ. If you're here today and you want me to pray with you to receive Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, then I want you to raise your hand and I will pray for you. Just lift your hand up high. I will pray for you. There is a hand. Yes, praise the Lord. I see that hand. Yes, thank you. 